1: Good morning and welcome in here on Thursday, September the 12th. On today's show, I'm going to be chatting with Youth Services Director of the Thompson at Nicola Regional District as it expands youth programming in libraries across Kamloops. What does that mean and why is it important? We'll be talking more about that in about 10 minutes time. In the back half, I'll have Toronto Star columnist Alex Ballingall coming back on the show as the federal election enters day two. Ballingall is of course right from here in Kamloops and is following NDP leader Jagmeet Singh through out the campaign. And to end things off, I'll be speaking with the Executive Director of the Crisis and Suicide Prevention Society, which celebrated its 50th anniversary this week on World Suicide Prevention Day. But to kick things off, Chase City Council held a meeting earlier this week, and among the items on their agenda was making the community smoke-free. They received a presentation from Interior Health's Tobacco Reduction Coordinator, and here to talk about that information is the man himself, Mr. Jeff Connors. Jeff, thanks so much for coming in. Hey, thanks for inviting me in inviting early. <laughs> No problem. So, uh, you made a number of these presentations now across the region, and uh, just start by giving me a quick rundown of sort of what you presented in Chase here this week and sort of what exactly you're trying to accomplish.
0: Sure. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, smoking is still the number one preventable cause of death and disease in Canada. And, and since we uh, work in the health industry and in BC, one of our jobs is to reduce that. And so, um, the group I work with, the Healthy Communities team, goes out and looks at how do we um, have advanced bylaws. So, we c- currently have bylaws, or sorry, laws and regulations across the province around smoking not within certain feet of um, doorways and air intakes and the rest. And so, one of the things that we look at doing is how do we, number one, um, reduce smoking rates, um, two, ha- have more healthy environments, uh, and three, look at kind of some environmental issues. So, smoke free environments are really good, uh, not smoking in, in public. Beaches, trails, those kind of places. Often if you go to music in the park or chase, for example, um, music on the lake, um, not having someone smoking beside you is nice. And so having a bylaw helps people just state that as part of their kind of... um, Health infrastructure. It also helps kind of um, reduce smoking rates, like I said. And given forest fires, although we we're pretty lucky here in Campbell this year, this year, yeah. Other years uh, we're not so much. And about um, historically, over 50% of fires, uh, forest fires, or fires that are caused uh, that people have to respond to are people-related. And so if we can reduce that by cigarette butts and and litter and as well that's another added bonus.
1: So uh, Mm -hmm. what kind of uh, response have you received from communities where you make these presentations? It sounds like for the most part I mean you've had a pretty warm reception when you come make these uh, you know presentations so I mean what sort of response have you seen in terms of maybe a percentage of communities where you have visited and what's the uptake been?
0: Yeah, so in across interior health we're, we're around sixty percent of uh, local governments have uptake this. In the West where uh, we are not so much, but partly it's around um, just capacity. Often smaller places, you know, you look at the Ashcrofts and the Lintons and other places, they don't have the same capacity as other places and it's not so much on their list. Like I said, we have wildfires, you look at place like Linton, they got a road they got to get in there somehow so they have other things to look at often but the uptake's been really good because everyone understands that smoking is a problem um it's a problem for mental health and we talked about suicide rates and those kind of things yesterday it's an issue for that um and secondhand and all those kind of things so the uptake has been slow maybe in the west but i think the understanding is there for sure and i think with vapes and cannabis coming on, um, we're looking at it again. Yeah, and so to follow up
1: on that, I mean, you mentioned earlier to me that vaping and, and cannabis uh, activity is kind of combined now in with this whole smoking or no smoking initiative. So can you just sort of talk about sort of has there been any pushback just specifically as it relates to those two items? Because maybe people don't really necessarily link them in with cigarettes the yeah. same way that, uh, you know, the same way smoking is, is considered.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think once uh, cannabis was uh, regulated in Canada, some, some people looked at this, you know, We've had some communities say we don't want people smoking pot downtown because it just smells too bad but they don't worry about cigarettes and so then <clears throat> what about vapes How's that play in there so for us it's just a simple way to say anything you put in your mouth that's lit and produces some sort of um, smoke or vapor, whatever the heck yeah, you want to yeah. call it, um, let's just lump it all in together because it just makes it easier to determine. And um, as much as I love lawyers, we don't want to make lawyers out of every community member saying subsection 3B uh, says this is not cannabis or this is that. And so it just makes it simpler. Okay. Um, and and kind of combined on that too, I mean, with the incidents we've seen
1: sort of recently in the States as youths are, you know, dying or mm-hmm. getting these mm-hmm. crazy, weird, mm-hmm. mysterious lung diseases mm-hmm. as a result of vaping. I mean, has that conversation kind of come up a little bit more about the concerns that you're
0: hearing? from from people in the public when it comes to vaping specifically. For sure, it's really taken a turn. I think we've been on this for a few years now, really trying to get some good evidence, and we won't have good evidence for 15 years, longitudinally. And so um, now schools, particularly, I've had some places saying they have 600 students, and 100 of them are in the smoke pit vaping now, where they only five people before? And so we really need some good evidence. and of course, from um, <clears throat> a public health lens, anything we can do to reduce the harm we're into, like give us something. Uh, but we don't have that for vapes yet. Um, So it is a big discussion, um, and and that's a whole other conversation love to have with you. it takes take about 20 minutes. Um, I can pare it down in about 40 seconds if we need to. But, um, (laughs) yeah, so there's a big conversation on how do we deal with that, what do we do with it. Um, You know, when you look at the kind of laws around stuff, cannabis, for example, you're only allowed to get 30 grams or only so many places. uh, Restrictions are really good. Um, Vapes, you can have as many flavors as you want. You just can't call it the flavor. They're sold everywhere in unregulated places. Um, same as tobacco, they're yeah. in every corner store right, alcohol you can, get, you can get as much to kill the whole place and uh, NL here with flavors and the rest of it and so I think it's a great time to look at some of our public health policies for substances, particularly those big three Yeah, uh, here
1: with Interior Health Tobacco Reduction Coordinator Jeff Connor. so uh, maybe talk about some of the reasons that people maybe haven't wanted to sort of get on board with these uh, no smoking initiatives in cities I mean you, you mentioned to me like tourism was one yep. thing that uh, people have a little bit of a concern about, <laughs> I mean it seems like a, such a simple concept we don't want people smoking in our community and and it's a a great way to promote health and healthy living uh so what kind of pushback have you seen you said you haven't seen a ton but obviously there's a few reasons why people may be a little bit uh wary of getting on board
0: yeah i think there's you know the tourism one has been historically one but since whistler and some peaks has gone uh tobacco free and cannabis free um i know for ski hill that amazes some people um but it, it kind of changes that narrative a bit. Some of it's around for particularly smaller communities, just looking at, so are we downloading stuff on them? Uh, this is one more thing to do for a small community that has limited resources and hit by other things, and then that's fair. Um, how do we police it is often one, one mm. area. How do we enforce it? And what we find is all peer enforcement for the most part. If, if someone's smoking and you come over to them and say, hey, can you please move? Um, you're smoking. For the most part, 99% of the time, people are good at that. The other person has a significant mental health issue or something else going on and they're angry or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been some of the challenges that we have faced.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about enforcement as well, because obviously, you know, when when something like this would be taken up, it typically would fall on bylaw, and bylaw typically only has certain hours that they're available, and, you know, probably some of these issues would happen on the weekend when bylaw's not working, and then, you know, obviously they're not going to respond to someone smoking in the wrong spot three days later. So it's all really, like you had mentioned, coming down to, to peer policing.
0: Yeah, and education. I think as long as people know what's going on, they're really good at it. You, uh, again, um, you know, 70% of smokers who are currently smoking want to quit in the next six months. And so I think that helps them. They're all for it. Yeah, and I guess probably having someone
1: on your back a little bit, if you are around them, maybe is another incentive to be like, hey, I'm... I'm you know,
0: sure. bothering somebody, so what's one more reason to try to break the habit, right? Exactly, particularly when you're sitting outside of a, a <clears throat> recreational facility and you're smoking, for example, outside a Blazers game or some of these smaller communities, and, and you got to walk through the gauntlet of secondhand smoke people aren't so much into that anymore. And so people are really uh, uh, considered and want to help out with that. Um, So I guess, what is your goals here moving
1: forward? Is it to get sort of every community on board with this, or are you looking at maybe a a province-wide initiative, or or where does this go from here?
0: It would be nice if it was province-wide. Places like Ontario have banned, for example, smoking on patios across the province. Our province has not taken that initiative yet, and so... In the absence of that, we've decided uh, from Interior Health, we're uh, going to go community-to-community and see if we can just kind of uh, enhance that ourselves. And if something comes down that way, that would be marvellous. But until then... Uh, each community, can't wait to talk to you. Do you think there's a reason why the province has been kind of slow to act? I mean,
1: is it just, a, like you had mentioned, with other communities, it's just maybe lower on the list of priorities? Is that really all you think it is?
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, uh, number 12 on a list of 10 things to do. Um, <clears throat> and there's a bunch of other things. You know, looking at vaping right now, there are folks on that. What about a bunch of other issues? We have an overdose crisis. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mind you, four times as many people die from tobacco this year is opiates. Yeah. Um, in an opiate crisis. So, And will every year and have. Um do you, do you, I mean, when you talk
1: about vaping, I mean, obviously that's the big headline right now, but I mean, I think that number's at six deaths right now for vaping in the U.S. I mean, that's very small compared to the number of tobacco deaths you see on, a, well, we'll say an annual basis, but probably on a weekly basis. I mean, do you think maybe the talk has shifted too much to that right now, or is it just because it's a, a new thing and that's kind of why people are focused on it? Because yeah. smoking's been around for forever and we know that the yeah. risks of it, but it almost feels like people are just like, eh, we already know that, so yeah. if, it, if you're smoking, that's your choice, right?
0: Yeah, I think there's some of that and some novelty around not knowing. And youth, given the amount of youth that have picked this up, I think that's a challenge, right? That's some of our concern around these are still nicotine delivery systems, right? Right. They're still getting addicted to nicotine. They have young brains. What's this mean? These are young people that are dying and often healthy. And so that's not a good sign for the vaping over the long term if this is piece of it. Now, at the same time, there's about 3,000 different devices out there. So trying to make any sort of correlation between any of these things is really tough. But I think it is that novelty piece, we don't know, and you're right, it's a known danger of traditional uh, combustible tobacco. All right, well, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this, because so, the whole reason I brought you in
1: was because uh, you presented to Chase earlier in the week. So uh, where's their situation at right now? You had mentioned this was your second presentation to the community, and it uh, looks like things are starting to kind of roll in the direction of them picking this up. So what, what's next for them?
0: Yeah, I expect that they'll uh, draft a bylaw, take it back to uh, council, and they'll pass it and move along and um, drive down with the golf carts without smoking on them. <laughs> Perfect. So that's probably coming up in the next couple of months, I would think, if, uh, if not sooner. Awesome. Thanks well,
1: so much. Thanks so much, Jeff. Really appreciate you coming in and taking the time. Cool. Thank you. All right. That was Jeff Connors, Tobacco Reduction Coordinator with Interior Health. Coming up, libraries. Are kids still using these facilities? And while the Youth Services Coordinator is hoping they do because they're expanding programming across the city here in Kamloops, we'll talk more about that after this.
0: Your opinion. Call or text 250 374 Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com.
1: Good morning and welcome back here on Radio NL on this Thursday. Youth programming in libraries across the city is set for expansion and here to talk about why it's important and what expansion actually means is Youth Services Director of the TNRD Meg Ross. Meg thanks so much for coming in Thanks for having me So what does expansion of youth programming entail what what what, what are you guys planning here over the next little while
2: So in uh, the next couple months we're adding in a few extra programs on the evenings and weekends So just making things a little bit more accessible for those working parents who can't come in to the mid-morning weekday programs that we've been running regularly for years.
1: So when you're talking about programming, I guess, what do do we mean? I mean, we're talking about libraries, libraries are about more than just books, I assume, right? Absolutely. So what kind of programs are we talking about?
2: So we run a number of different early literacy programs and those are focused on sharing songs and stories with families and they're fun, and they're engaging, but what they're really about behind all the fun is building language skills in the early years. So the zero to five, so burning or <laughs> building all those skills that they're going to need to um, be confident, skilled, learn how to read when they start school, so all of that happens before the age of five, building a lot of those skills, and that's what we help parents learn how to support in our programs. So
1: when we're talking about expansion, I guess, what kind of hours were available before and how does this sort of, like, how much more availability is there going to be as a result of these changes?
2: So we're running three extra programs now. Um, in our two main Camloops branches, we generally run three early literacy programs uh, a week. So we've upped that a little bit more, so we've got nine in total now running between the two. So there's going to be two additional ones running at the Kamloops Library and one additional at the North Kamloops Library.
1: And what kind of participation do you see in these programs? Is it pretty well attended or are you really trying to build this a little bit more and that's part of the expansion is to get more people involved and coming out to take part in these? or, Or how does that work?
2: They're very well attended. So we generally see anywhere between 20 and 60 people coming out to our morning programs. Um, But a lot of those are daycares or preschools or mums who are home on mat leave or parents who are on parental leave. And we just want to have the opportunity for the working parents who don't have the chance to come to the programs, engage with their children and really experience the same sort of rich learning that the other families do outside of working hours.
1: Many people kind of like myself are often, you know, we don't really use libraries anymore. It's just almost like a, an old school type of, you know, facility where we don't really think to go that and use it. That hurts me so much I, to I hear know, that. See, this is why I wanted to ask this question, though. So I, can you kind of explain how libraries are a lot more than just maybe like like we had mentioned before? It's not just checking out books. It's not just logging onto the Internet to use, uh, you know, resources and do research. There's a lot more to libraries than just that. Um, how do you convince people or what are you doing to promote these other aspects that you guys have in libraries and and bring more people into the facilities. I mean, do you see a lot of use from from adults, too, or is that sort of waning over the years?
2: No, absolutely. Um, We're very busy with all age levels. Um, We always do have space for more people to come in, though, so we're always encouraging new users to come in, check us out. Everything's free, which is a pretty easy sell most of the time. Um, So we do have, as you mentioned, internet access. We have all kinds of different materials, books, DVDs, CDs, video games. Um, We're starting to expand into um, some more different sorts of things, with our extreme lending program. So we've got passes for the wildlife park, passes for the TCC. Um, We've got a pass now, uh, or a a backpack that's got uh, binoculars and some information about birding for local birders experience, or like families to experience that as well. So growing in lots of different ways, and then all of the different kinds of programs that we offer. So children's programs for the 0-5s, to as I mentioned, building those early literacy skills, Um, programs for the 6-12s, to sometimes after school, sometimes on the weekends, lots of new maker programs that we've been adding, um, looking at building some of that tech piece for kids, the STEM learning that's so popular and so important right now, building those coding skills and problem solving skills. We've got book clubs for all ages, from our tween book club for 9 to 12s, all the way up to our seniors' book clubs, which are always full and very popular. So there's things for for everyone, and that's not even to mention all the different adult programs that we run, the talks with authors that we bring in, talks with local interest um, topics that we feature. So we're actually coming up this fall. We've got two workshops happening um, that are going to be introducing some... Um, basic Chiquet gene language um, with Ted Gottfriedson, the culture and development coordinator from Chiquet Mc. Um, so we're really excited about that happening too. So there's all kinds of things <laughs> happening at the library. It's it's not just about the books.
1: So, I mean, that's pretty crazy that you guys have a ton of stuff. I, uh, I couldn't even keep track of everything you had just <laughs> mentioned because there were so many things there. So uh, obviously you have quite a bit of participation that if you're able to offer all of these things. So I was going to ask that, you know, if, bringing people in at a younger age is important just so they're aware of the services that are available so they can kind of continue that uh... you know through into adulthood or maybe even tell their parents about things that are going on that they might not know about but it doesn't sound like that's really as much of an issue maybe as i thought it was
2: well i mean building building that love of reading and that love of learning young is really one of our sort of core goals um, because if you, if you get it young, if you have that desire to learn, if you have that love of reading, that skill that's going to carry you through the rest of your life. Um, we know that children with younger reading sk- or with uh, stronger reading skills um, when they're young, they do better in life. Um, They stay in school longer, they go on to more higher paying jobs, they're more successful overall in a number of different things that we measure. Um, And so we know that building those early literacy skills are so important to build so young um, but it's really, we've got, we've got things for everyone there, so.
1: And, and like, uh, the whole reason we have brought you in here was talking about the expansion of youth services, uh, or youth programming here uh, at libraries. Uh, does that matter at the time of year? I mean, school just started, so do you see a change in maybe how people are utilizing these services as a result of school now being in session, or are you maybe busier in the summer, or do you have any kind of ideas on sort of how things look from season to season?
2: We. We never really have a quiet time, but it is very different season to season, so we've just wrapped up Summer Reading Club. Um, I just put the final report into the province. We had about 1,700 children take part throughout the entire um, district this year, so a pretty good number. Um, So, during the summer, we run all the summer reading clubs, lots of summer programming happening. Um, In the fall, we switch over to running more sort of our standard programs, the early literacy ones in the mornings adding these ones in the evenings and weekends, and then moving into after-school things um, as well. And uh, our adult programming picks up a bit more in the fall. People in the summertime want to be outside, so they don't come in for the programs quite so much, um, but we still see lots of use happening in the summers.
1: Perfect. And uh, just a couple seconds here, but I guess where do people go to find more information?
2: So they can go to our website, tnrl.ca. There's a calendar on there with all of our programs. And uh, our new program guide that I just brought in a copy for you this morning, Hot Off the Presses, has got everything going through till the end of December in it.
1: Perfect. Well, Meg, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate your time.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. That was Youth Services Director with the TNRD, Meg Ross. Coming up after the break, the 43rd federal election is now into day two. I'll be talking more about what has happened so far with a Kamloopsian who now works for the Toronto Star after this.
0: You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello, and welcome back
1: in here on this morning of Thursday, September the 12th. The federal election is into day two. And here to talk about what has been happening so far on the trail is a Kamloopsian and Toronto Star reporter. I'm going to call him a friend of the show. With this being his second time on, it's Alex Bowlingall. Alex, thanks so much for being here.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. So
1: uh, tell me about what you've been doing so far today. I mean, you're spending some time on the campaign following Jagmeet Singh. So I guess what's what's been going on there this morning?
3: Yeah, so we, uh, we're uh, currently, uh, he's in... Uh, preparations for the debate tonight that Macleans and uh, city tv is hosting in toronto so we're in we're in mississauga at a hotel right now where he, he's sort of huddled with his staff um here preparing for that but this morning we we went to brampton which is a, sort of a suburban city outside toronto where Singh's political career really started as a provincial uh mpp as they called him in ontario so uh, how um, was, he was making an announcement oh. on health care
1: Okay, so how was how your morning? I guess, uh, you know, like you said, you were in Brampton. I guess just what have things been like over the last 24 hours leading up to or since the, the, the election was called? I mean, has it been kind of crazy here for you? I mean, things have obviously been kind of set in, in stone here for a while, sort of what schedules might be looking like. So I guess, uh, you know, what, what have you been seeing as you're following the NDP here? Has it been sort of a, a whirlwind or has things been kind of pretty smooth sailing so far? I mean, we have just started here, right?
3: Yeah, I d I not call it a world. I, th- I think what what we've seen is sort of um, um, the type of campaign that the NDP is running is really different than the, especially the, the sort of the other two major parties, the Liberals and the Conservatives, who are flying around on their on their branded uh, jumbo jets. And and the, and the NDP, uh, you know, there's been a lot said of how their fundraising has tanked since 2015. Um, uh, they've had trouble getting, like, a full roster of candidates. So, so the, the campaign they're running, they've been busing around. They've got a bus based out west, and they've got a bus based out east here for Ontario and Quebec. Um, and they're going to spend a lot of time on the road, sort of, like, wheeling around on this bus. Um, and usually campaigns also have, like, a media bus and then a bus where the leader and his staff have, like, the their own private bus but in this one we're actually all on one bus which is maybe another indication of sort of their financial situation where where we're all sort of crammed together there which which is which is kind of cool but it also i think speaks to um the limitations this time around that the ndp is working under
1: yeah and um i guess there is some concern that i've been hearing and seeing about potentially the greens actually taking over the ndp as a potential third party in this election Uh, are you seeing those fears amongst the ndp supporters right now that you're seeing
3: um, they certainly don't display those fears if they exist, but the polls uh, certainly suggest that that is possible. Some polls nationally have put uh, the Greens ahead of them, or or they're in a tie, and, and I think we've we've seen sort of. Um, over the past week, even that whole sort of kerfuffle with the, the in New Brunswick with, the, with the, the supposed defection of a bunch of people from the NDP to the Greens, I, it, it, they really are, I think, duking it out at this point in, in the early days of the campaign to become that progressive alternative to the Lib If you're if you're disappointed by Trudeau, which of the other two sort of left-leaning parties would you go for? And I think that I think in tonight's debate. Um, That might be a major storyline to watch for with Singh versus May and trying to pitch to these people on the left side of the spectrum to say, if you don't like Trudeau, we're the one that you can park your vote with. So it'll be interesting to watch.
1: Uh, what have people been kind of asking the the NDP leader? Like, what is he doing to try to make up ground right now in what does feel like a two-horse race? And you mentioned it's almost a two-horse race to be the third party at this point in time. I mean, I know they're trying to push that they are the alternative. So what what's his message been to try to to separate himself and, and really try to regain that ground that the NDP had, you know, two elections ago where they were sort of the, the hot choice? I mean, is there anything that he can do to, to push that envelope and try to move himself back up the polls here? Uh, what, what's his message? been like so far and, and what what kind of things have he's has he had to answer to in order to to try to make up that ground
3: i think they're really trying to frame the election as the liberals and conservatives they've been power forever federally and the, the, he's basically painting them as as almost almost like uh, beholden to corporate interest and not willing to stand up to pharmaceutical companies, SNC, Labelin, um, basically he's these, saying these parties govern in favor of, of the wealthy and well-connected and only the NDP can be trusted to govern on, in the interest of the people by doing things like pharmacare, uh, expanding healthcare, um, having a, a, a better plan to tackle climate change. So Singh is really trying to frame himself as sort of like the man of the people, the champion of the people and the only champion of the people, whereas the other two main parties are um, he's trying to frame them as as almost like illegitimate in the sense that they uh that they are beholden to these elite corporate interests um so that's that's really the frame he's trying to i guess uh, put on this thing um I, I think strategically in the early days uh, just talking to people on the campaign um I think they 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 really do think that Singh is is the type of leader who has sort of a charm and a charisma that 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 can be advantageous in politics. And I think their goal for the early days, you know, as this debate tonight and him getting out, um, sort of in in the as the vote rich uh, Toronto area, as people call it, um, is is to is to uh, is to sort of show him as the antidote to this narrative that the NDP is struggling to say. Well, he, introduce him to people and, and show that that he. That he has this sort of energy that, that people might find contagious and, and alluring, um, so they're really banking on like on his like, almost personal power as as being something that could maybe propel them into contention.
1: Uh, here with Toronto Star re- political reporter Alex Ballingol. So Also, uh, you mentioned SNC Lavalin sort of off the top of that last answer there, and I just kind of wanted to ask a little bit about that whole uh, scenario, as uh, you know, it seems like that might have been a. An, an, uh uh, a way to push uh, the, the anti-Trudeau vote out there, you know, just bringing up the snc Lavalin scandal and the issues that have surrounded that. I mean, how much has that come up? I mean, like I know it's only been a day and a half here, not even, but uh, just how much has that come up already? And do you think that that's going to be a, a message that's going to continue to prop up throughout these next 40 days? Um, I mean, you as a political reporter, you know, you're always looking for new storylines. Do you think this is going to be one that you're just going to have to continue to deal with as this whole thing goes on?
3: Uh, I do. I think the, uh, certainly the conservatives and, and the NDP uh, are, are going to keep hammering it pretty much at every chance they get. Uh, and it's already come up. Like yesterday, the Globe had another scoop on this um, first thing in the morning, saying that, you know, the, the RCMP is sort of sniffing around and that the uh, cabinet confidence that, that has prevented uh, Wilson-Raybould and others from, from telling the full story is blocking their, their inquiries into whether anything maybe maybe uh, worthy of a criminal investigation happened. So so right off the bat, like Trudeau was outside yesterday morning in front of Rideau Hall, and I think the first question was like, well, what do you have to hide? Why why don't you waive that cabinet confidence? What are you hiding? Uh, so and then then obviously Sheer was out uh, hammering it. He he held a media availability before he even took off on his plane from Ottawa yesterday. So yeah, it, it came up immediately, and I, and I don't think. Um, the opposition parties are going to let it sort of, um, you know, wither away. I, I think they want; they really want to show this. You know, the the, the uh, conservatives want to say that uh, the the liberals are unethical, and and the NDP is trying to seize on it as an example of the liberals governing, as they say, on behalf of the rich, well-connected.
1: Um, So given that, I mean, when we're looking at some debates that are coming up, and specifically leadership debates, do you think that, um, you know, uh, Singh and uh, Andrew Scheer, do you think they're almost going to be a little bit on the same page when it comes to some of the ways that they're attacking Trudeau? I mean, uh, they're both sort of presenting themselves as an alternative as opposed to really battling each other. It's almost two versus the Trudeau campaign. I mean, how do you view what's going to potentially be happening there? Uh, Do do you think it's going to be just a pile-on, or do you think there's going to be any real uh, contention between Singh and Shear at all, or is this mostly just, you know, them versus Trudeau?
3: Yeah, I I think the conservatives, I think traditionally they always see, they, they, they rarely kind of go after the NDP directly at the federal level because they, they believe that when the NDP is strong, that takes votes from the liberals and then the conservatives can win, even if their vote share doesn't go up. So, like, a split vote on the left is, like, exactly what they want. So uh, I don't expect sheer, you know, in the debates that they obviously disagree on. uh, They have different ideologies, Mm -hmm, so they disagree on a lot. They might clash over sort of the nitty-gritty of policies. But I don't see sort of a big narrative in the election emerging of, like, a sheer versus Singh thing. They really are both trying to frame the election as the liberals. Are done, and 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 we're the ones uh, that can really look out for your interests. They they really do uh, in a kind of an interesting way. Have like a similar frame to the election that uh, that you know the, the conservatives that say we're gonna we're gonna make it uh, you know help your pocketbook, lower taxes, make sure that that as their slogan says that you can get ahead now. And the and the NDP is saying we're the only ones that will fight for your interests. We're gonna make sure that your interests are protected. So they really are both trying to capture that sort of like everyday Canadian imagination.
1: Um, I, you being from Kamloops here, i, I got to ask this a little bit since you are following the NDP campaign um, and, and I know you do are, are aware of what's happening here in Kamloops when it comes to finding an, an NDP candidate, obviously it's been a, a rough go here for the party uh, trying to find someone to actually run in this riding, um, are you guys planning or do you know if the, uh, the, the thing bus is planning to come out to BC, when is that going to be happening and is there even a potential stop in Kamloops given that there isn't a candidate here right now, I know uh, we have Justin Trudeau coming into town later this afternoon, uh, so what, what is the NDP's plan in terms of a, a campaign through BC? And, and do you think that something can be figured out in Kamloops before that happens?
3: Yeah. So I was, I was talking about, uh, this situation yesterday and, and they said, yeah, you know, this is the you know, second candidate to drop out in Kamloops. Um, we're go- They, they, they say we're going to have someone there. I, I think at this point they'll have to just sort of name somebody rather than have like a contest I think it's too late now so they'll have to just basically appoint a candidate um, I'm sure that, that, that there's uh, members in the in the riding that they can find, but but yeah, in terms of Singh going, as far as I know, there's no plans for him to for him to go to Kamloops, but uh, I, that could that could uh, be something I just don't know about. Mm-hmm. But he, he's uh, I know for this week he's in Ontario. Next week he's going to be in Quebec and Ontario, and I don't think it's until the third week of the campaign that he uh, jets out west and does a uh, does a bus tour there. But I, I know that the party. Uh, uh, their focus in terms of protecting and gaining seats in BC I think is uh, is like Nathan Cullen's riding up north and then and then the, the battle with the greens on Vancouver Island and then sort of Vancouver in the lower mainland where where Singh has a seat in, in Burnaby South I think those are the areas where they really see uh, the battle for them in BC
1: Awesome. Well, uh, 40 days left, Alex. I guess it's going to be a a jam-packed next uh, month and a bit for you here. So hopefully we can get you back on the show before the election's done. I always appreciate you coming on.
3: Yeah, no worries. Happy to do it anytime.
1: Awesome. That was Alex Ballingall, a Toronto Star reporter who is right from right here in Kamloops and is following NDP leader Jagmeet Singh throughout the campaign trail. So, as I mentioned, 40 days left until October 21st when you include today. And I will uh, keep letting you know about that timeline as the days move on. So, make sure you get on to elections.ca, register to vote, and uh, make sure you're prepared for Election Day on October 21. And just again, Justin Trudeau will be here in Kamloops later today at uh, Terry Lake's campaign office. Andrew Shear spent this morning in North York. So if you're wondering where people are, there you have it. Coming up next, I'll be talking with the Executive Director of BC's Crisis Intervention Center as it turns 50 years old in September. Here this week also marks Suicide Awareness or Suicide Prevention Week here this week. So we'll be talking all about what's going on there after this.
0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: We're back and thanks so much for joining me here on this lovely Thursday morning in Kamloops. I'm joined now by the Executive Director of the Crisis and Suicide Prevention Society, which celebrated its 50th anniversary this week here on World Suicide Prevention Week. Here is Stacy Ashton. Stacy, thanks so much for being here.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: So uh, the Society is turning 50. I guess, uh, what did you guys do to mark the anniversary here this week?
4: Well, actually, we had a volunteer appreciation party. So uh, we we got the old staple pizza and cake. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we just got together and celebrated all the work that we have accomplished over 50 years.
1: Awesome. Who doesn't love a good pizza party, right? Uh, So so maybe just talk a little bit about what the society does here. So you're obviously doing some important work and although you are working out of uh, Vancouver, I believe you provide service across the province. So what exactly is it that you guys do that's so important in helping people get through some difficult times? Can you just sort of go over the general um, master plan, if you will, of what the society does?
4: Yeah, well, the the Vancouver Crisis Centre is part of a network of crisis centres all across B.C. So, collectively, all of us, and you have one in Kamloops through the Canadian Mental Health Association, mm-hmm. collectively, we answer the 1-800-SUICIDE line and the 310-Mental Health line. So, uh, 1-800-SUICIDE, which is 1-800-784-2433, um, is, is one of the tools uh, for suicide prevention. It's a place where you can call if you're having thoughts of suicide, um, and, uh, thoughts of suicide, I have to point out are very different than, um, than taking your life than then suicide. Many, many, many people have thoughts of suicide. When you get emotionally overwhelmed, that thought will pop into your head. It's not abnormal. Um, and, uh, and the real thing that hurts people is thinking it's abnormal and thinking that it means that they're going to kill themselves. You can get really, really scared of your own mind. So reach out and talk to someone, and the 1-800-SUICIDE is a place where you can do that, and it's a place where you can... Um, talk to people if you're afraid uh, that a loved one is
1: suicidal. Yeah, and I was going to say that you know having that face to face conversation with people is obviously very important, but that's not always the easiest thing for people to, to do, mm-hmm. and those services might not always necessarily be available depending on what time of day or time of year they're having these uh, you know mm-hmm. uncomfortable thoughts. So I guess just how important is it to have that phone number that you guys can or someone can call uh, to get a hold of you guys just to sort of bridge that gap between um, you know having nobody mm-hmm. to talk to and, and nobody face to face, at least having someone on the phone that can can answer some questions or even just hear hear what they have to say
4: yeah it's huge it's huge um i mean the fact that we're available 24 7 is really huge that uh, you can call us any time of the day or night and uh, and then suddenly you are not alone with your thoughts anymore you're not alone with your fears anymore uh, and that is that is really huge uh being able to have a safe place where you can just say how you're feeling without being judged is massive it helps You clear your own mind from the feelings so you can actually decide what to do next. Um, And uh, what you can do next is, you know, talk to a doctor, figure out who in your support group might be the safest person to talk to and where you want to get support. Um, Once you get those really terrible feelings of fear and shame out of the way, you have a lot more options.
1: Now, you guys are mostly volunteer based. I mean, this sounds like a very difficult job for someone to do and, and uh, especially for someone who, you know, is taking up the work willingly and, and doing it for, for free. So, I mean, do you guys ever have issues when it comes to finding people to volunteer for this kind of job? It sounds like something that, uh, you know, it might be hard to get people on board with.
4: Well, you know, I hear that all of the time, um, but, um, you know, and it's never super easy to find volunteers, but we train about 130 volunteers a year. Uh, we run six training sessions a year in uh, in Vancouver, um, and uh, we, you know, we, right now we've got another 25 trainees coming up on the lines. Um, people are really... Uh, honored to volunteer with us which is amazing Um, they most of the volunteers that come to us come to us because they know a volunteer and their their friend has said you have to come and do this it's a life-changing experience Um, we actually believe that every every human being has the capacity to help other human beings Um, we can all make space For people to talk about really really painful things and and share the load of that pain Uh, and so we have training that helps you do that Um, and um, and we also really make sure that we also listen to our volunteers so when they have a stressful call we'll talk it through with them Uh, and that's how we keep this uh, keep this thing moving.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask sort of what the, the support services are in place there for your volunteers because you had mentioned obviously mm-hmm. there are some difficult things that they would have to hear and some heavy stories they might have to listen to and it obviously could have an impact on, on them and just their mental health moving forward. I mean, just knowing some of the things that people have been through. Um, I mean, so uh, can you talk a little bit more a little bit about how things work amongst each other if you're kind of talking and decompressing after a shift or, or, or what is it that you guys do to keep yourselves, you know, feeling sane, if you will, um, after dealing with some difficult I mean, obviously, you're, you're happy that you're doing great work and uh, it's very fulfilling, but on, on the other hand, it's also got to be very challenging.
4: It, it can be, but it's also the, the rewarding and the challenging go hand in hand, right? So, I mean, we hear back from people who have, uh, we've, taken calls from. Like, we just uh, we just got a gift in the mail yesterday, a painting that someone had made us just to let us know that that us being there on the lines for them had changed their life, had, had, had gotten them through some really, really hard times. So we know that the work that we're doing is important. Um, and like, what we're doing is we're offering people the chance to talk through their strong and hard emotions. So the same thing happens if we have strong and hard emotions on the line. So when I was volunteering on the lines back in 96, the, you know, the only real way that I could get in trouble was if I didn't debrief my calls, if I didn't talk to my mm-hmm. supervisors about how the call shift went, how I was feeling, um, what was challenging, what was rewarding, uh, and work that through. Because it's like I, I'm no different from anybody who calls on the line. If I have strong feelings, I need to connect with people and talk them through.
1: Well, Stacey, unfortunately we are out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the program and and speaking to me. I really appreciate all the work that you guys do, and and I'm sure many people out here in, in Kamloops and across BC do as well. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Awesome. That was Stacey Ashton, Executive Director of BC's Crisis Intervention and Suicide Prevention Center. And remember, this week does mark World Suicide Prevention Week, so uh, definitely a good time to think about these things and and talk them through. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me, and a big thank you to everyone for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.